Welcome to Medieval Islamic Medicine. In this episode, Peter looks at the cultures and traditions from which medieval Islamic medical theory and practice emerged. What we have to understand is that Islam itself, but also Islamic medicine, emerges in the world of late antiquity, very late antiquity. But um, this world of late antiquity was dominated uh, by strong Hellenism. So let's first maybe look at Egypt and especially Alexandria. Alexandria was a, a very important city which had, a th by the 6th and 7th century, had a thousand years of a thousand year history in which medicine played an absolutely crucial role. There were like Herophilus and Erasistratus uh, who in the 3rd century BC discovered uh, nerve, the, the, the nerves and so on and so forth, the major discoveries um, in, um, in Alexandria. And that uh, school of medicine continues even in late antiquity. The library of Alexandria no longer exists, but there were many so-called so academies and museums in which medicine was taught. And the kind of medicine which was taught in, in Alexandria is uh, characterized by a strong Galenism. Now Galen is a second century uh, AD physician, a Greek physician, and he basically took an idea which we find in Hippocrates' treatise on the nature of men, that there are four humors, uh, phlegm, blood, yellow bile, black bile, and the balance of these forms uh, or constitutes health and an imbalanced disease. We'll come back to these ideas later. But basically, this Galenism, the, these ideas of Galen, of this great physician, were very much at the forefront of people's uh, ideas of how medicine should work and what the theory of medicine is. So Galen, and then there are other authors, uh, like encyclopedic authors, like Oribasius uh, and Paul of Aegina, for instance, who worked in the 7th century in Alexandria, Paul of Aegina, an important figure. So we have on the one hand Alexandria and this teaching tradition, students learn medicine, and uh, on the other hand um, we have this encyclopedic tradition of comp you know, like condensing knowledge, medical knowledge into a, into handbooks. So this is these are kind of two trends which, which are important in Alexandria in late antiquity, and it's a very Hellenized world. People speak Greek in Alexandria, for instance. On the other hand, uh, um, if we look at the world of late antiquity, we have uh, the Christians, and notably the Syriac-speaking Christians, um, who develop their own medical literature. And uh, I just want to name one author here who's quite important, and this is Sergius of Resh Aina. He's a Jacobite Christian, which means that he does not fall within the orthodoxy of Byzantium, of the Nicene Creed. Uh, he's a monophysite. I mean, we don't need to go into these theological debates, but anyhow, so he's, uh, he is an, an important author. He very much is interested in Aristotle, but also in Galen and other authors, and he himself studied in Alexandria. So although he comes from what is nowadays, um, or lived in a region which is nowadays Syria and southwestern Turkey, and he speaks an Aramaic dialect, which is Syriac, uh, he also is very Hellenized and had uh, is part of that tradition, and he as I said, translated a number of uh, Galenic treatises from Greek into Syriac. So this is like the other part. We have the, the, the Greek world, so to speak, in Egypt, the Hellenized world of these Syriac-speaking Christians, whom we will encounter again later. And then we have the Persian Empire, a very important empire. The Sasanian dynasty rules roughly from 250 to 650 in that part of the world, uh, 
and they too are very Hellenized because what happens is that many Christians, um, many Christians who know Greek even, leave the Byzantine world because of these uh, Christological controversies, because they are monophysites or they are Nestorians, they don't believe in certain aspects of what is orthodox belief in Byzantium. And so they flee to the Persian Empire, they are tolerated there, and they bring with them, so to speak, their Hellenized ideas. But also, like Alexander the Great, obviously had uh, Hellenized large parts of the Persian Empire before, so it's a very Hellenized kind of world. And even that kind of medicine, they have Persian or Pahlavi, as it's called, translations of Greek medical text, uh, but uh, they also have their own plans and, and remedies. So we have these kind of three main influences in on the scene, so to speak, in late antiquity. But then, obviously, if we want to tell the story of medieval Islamic medicine, we shouldn't forget the Arabs. So the Arabs, or the, har the Arabic heartland, is the um, Arabian Peninsula, what is nowadays uh, uh, Saudi Arabia, and obviously, even in pre-Islamic times, uh, people fell ill or people were concerned about their health. And we have some um, oblique sources as to how they conceived of health and disease and what they did. For instance, there's one poem in which uh, a warrior, I mean, we are talking about a Bedouin desert-dwelling uh, kind of society, um, which is uh, which lived of raids and so on and so forth. So we have here a poem in which a warrior boasts that he had defeated or slain one of his enemies. And he says that um, one enemy or other enemies, and he boasts in general that he has left behind many wailing women, women who try to cure or to treat their wounded uh, um relatives, husbands, and so on and so forth. And uh, in this one image, for instance, it's quite wonderful. We see, we, we have this picture of a woman trying to set straight the joints of somebody who's severely wounded and she can't do very much. But she also uses an instrument, a probe, which in Arabic is called meal. And this word meal is actually a Greek word, mele. And so even in this desert-dwelling society, we see like the influx of certain Greek words or Greek ideas, which is not at all surprising because there were contacts with Byzantium as well. So we have this desert-dwelling, these desert-dwelling people who often resorted to very simple remedies, you know, like camel urine or honey and other things like that. There's a lot of magic. And um, with the rise of Islam, this sort of society gains tremendous political but also military power and um, under the leadership of Muhammad and his uh, the prophet and his successors they conquer this world which which I have just described this world of late antiquity um, Egypt for instance is conquered in um, 642 but also the Persian Empire falls to the to the Muslims obviously a lot of uh, what is nowadays uh, um, you know, like Syria comes under Muslim control and they go and they conquer and obviously they go as far as, as, as Spain, most of Spain at some stage comes under Muslim rule and towards the east they go all the way to what is nowadays India and they expand their empire and they bring with them their religion Islam and they bring with them the language uh, Arabic. But at the early, in these early stages and especially in the heartland of uh, the Is Islamic empire, we have as I said, this Hellenized world. And for instance, in Egypt, they keep the Byzantine administration, which operates in, in Greek, in place for some 80 years. 
the first Islamic dynasty, the Umayyad Caliphs, are very interested in Greek art, for instance. We have a lovely hunting lodge in what is nowadays Jordan called Qusay Amra. And in this hunting lodge, you have like kind of Greek style uh, images, a little bit of poetry, some inscriptions. And you can imagine, so to speak, these, uh, these caliphs and their entourage sitting there hunting um, and uh, enjoying wine and, um, and a little bit of uh, song and relaxation in these surroundings. But it's a very Hellenized world again, um, which is conquered, but also on a certain cultural level, conquers the conqueror. And this is what's happening also on the level of medicine. When we talk about this early Islamic, this pre-Islamic and early Islamic period, our sources are limited. And actually, between historian of that period, there's a lot of debate as to what sources you should use. There's a lot of Muslim historiography, so Muslims write their history, but it kind of starts, I mean, we kind of start getting accounts from the 8th century. So we are talking at least 150 years, maybe 130 years after the the events. And um, obviously these sources purport to use um, accounts transmitted orally or sometimes even uh, purport to reproduce written documents. But um, people have been skeptical. They say they have a certain agenda and uh, when they paint, so to speak, the picture of uh, early Islamic, pre-Islamic and early is the pre-Islamic and early Islamic world, uh, what they do is they distort it according to the political trends and their partisan ideas of the time. And anyhow, they're quite remote from it. So we have these historiographical accounts. Then and another important um, kind of sources is poetry. But with poetry, you have the same problem. I mean, there's pre-Islamic poetry. We talked about this one scene where a warrior kind of... Um, boasts and says that many women has he left behind wailing and trying to cure their um, you know, like the slain the warriors he had slain but um, even there people have or some people have alleged that this poetry because it's so um, even and so oh, homogeneous in style must have been rewritten or redrafted or at least you know, like smoothed out at a later stage it cannot possibly um, reflect the ling linguistic diversity of this uh, pre-Islamic world. So even with the poetry, we have certain you know, like problems. And then another kind of set of sources are accounts uh, from non-Muslims who write in other languages like Syriac or Greek or Armenian. Um, and these uh, sources uh, obviously depict Islam and the rise of Islam in a hostile way. So there's not like one rough and ready source which we can use. So we have to use a combination of sources and the the early period is not always it's not all for the early period it's not always easy to know what exactly happened but um, the picture i painted of this uh, hellenized uh, late antique world and the muslim conquest i mean the general strokes so to speak within this pictures cannot be doubted it's more the details about which uh, people are in doubt In our next episode, we explore the translation movement, focused in Baghdad, and its importance in the development of Islamic medical theory and practice. Peter's book, Medieval Islamic Medicine, written with Emily Savage-Smith, is now available. <laughs> <laughs>